Welcome to the spring 2022 season of the Coffee with Kojo podcast, produced by the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University. My name is Dr. Rocky Daly, and I'm an associate professor in the school. Our student host, Sam Showers, starts off the semester speaking with Christopher Crotch, an adjunct instructor and mental performance coach at South Dakota State University. So I originally was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, but I only lived there a short period of time in my life. And so home, home for me will always be uh, North Dakota, uh, Valley City, North Dakota, which is about 45 miles to the west of Fargo. And so that's where my family, uh, well, basically I was raised. My mom and dad are from there. They moved back there. Um, so that will always be home for me. I have a lot of family that still lives there. Uh, so it'll always be a place uh, for me that, that holds a, a special place in my heart, uh, despite originally uh, being born in Flagstaff, Arizona. Okay. So then where did you go to college exactly? So I got my undergrad from the University of Mary. Uh, it's a private uh, Catholic college out in the uh, capital, Bismarck, North Dakota. And then I came here to get a, a master's degree in communication studies and journalism before uh, ultimately getting another master's degree in applied sports psychology. Okay. So then, if I remember correctly, uh, you ended up moving, what, seven times throughout your I moved life? a few times in there, yeah. So uh, once I graduated from South Dakota State, uh, I went to Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota, uh, where I taught there for nine years, was also the director of forensics, and then for an additional four years, I served as an administrator as the director of summer academic programs where I put on academic uh, camps in the summer for high school students as a way to recruit students uh, to, the, to the college uh, to give them sort of a feel about what a Gustavus education might be like. Um, and I also continued in the role of, of director of forensics, so head of coach of their speech and debate team. Uh, so I did that for the whole 13 years that I was there in addition to serving as director of summer academic programs. Wow. So then, um, so then yeah, you're also pretty passionate about your family life, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. So, you know, part of, uh, I think, the way I teach, part of the way I coach is, uh, is through my own life experiences, my own stories, uh, those things and values that really drive my work. And so a lot of that starts uh, with my brother, um, who I affectionately call Buckwheat. Uh, his name is Joshua, but we call him Buckwheat, um, have since he was pretty little. Um, he's a diehard, devout North Dakota State University Bison football fan. So now that I'm working with the football team, it causes uh, some consternation in, in his own life, uh, particularly when we play each other. But thankfully, um, since I've been with the team, we're 2-0, and so I've got the bragging <laughs> rights right now in the family. Uh, well, my brother has both a, a physical and an intellectual disability. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Rain Man, uh, he's a lot like Rain Man. And he certainly has shaped the way in which I view the world, uh, my own life experiences. He's the only sibling I have, and so I really don't know what it's like to, to fight with your sibling. Um, I don't know what it's like to call your brother at the end of the day and talk about, you know, what, what went on in the day and maybe something that's difficult that might be going on in your life. I'll never be the best man in his wedding. Those kinds of things that I've missed out on. But I also know um, what it's like to be stared at to be gawked at when you walk into a restaurant for people to walk up to you and ask you what's wrong with him um, I know what it's like to be um, you know to, to sort of be neglected um, and so when you experience those situations in your own life it really begins to shape how you view the world 
and without him, I wouldn't I wouldn't have these learning experiences that have really shaped who I am and how I go about about teaching. And so, I think that his his own experience. The greatest thing is at the end of the day, he'll call me probably 15 times on FaceTime, and because he's autistic, he'll just keep hitting the button um, and basically until I answer. And we might talk seven of those 15 times for a total of 10 minutes. Uh, but those 10 minutes are a joy of my day because every day he calls me, there's a smile on his face. Um, and the simple joys that he gets out of life uh, really provide me with, with many great lessons. Um, you know, the second biggest influence is my father. Um, my, mo- my father put my, my mother through college. Consequently, he never went back to college. And it's probably two years ago I asked my dad, you know, Dad, why didn't you ever go to college? You're like the smartest person I know. And he said, Chris, nobody in high school ever told me I was smart enough to go to college, so I just believed I wasn't smart enough to go to college. I think my dad was 65 years of age before he ever made $40,000 in his life. Um, For 25 of those years, he was a janitor. He was a janitor at my high school for a period of that time. Um, He ran a gas station in my younger years. Um, And then in his later years, he he worked on the garbage truck. And I'm talking like an old school garbage truck where you get on the truck, ride it, get off, chuck the garbage into the to the uh, truck, and then get back on. Um, and so I worked with my dad in the summers at the school. I still love to clean toilets to this day. Uh, so my wife is, is the beneficiary of that. Um, there's just, a, I guess, a joy and a fulfillment I get from a really clean toilet. Maybe that's because my dad made me clean all the... Uh, uh, the boys' room in the, in the elementary uh, wing of the school, I always had to clean the boys' bathroom, and so you know what you probably were like as a fifth grader. And uh, so when I cleaned, I got great satisfaction because you could tell you, you actually accomplished something. And so based upon those experiences, you know, he's, he's worked seven to five his whole life, barely taking two weeks vacation ever in a, in a given year in his life. Um, I know what it's like for people to think his job didn't matter, for people to think that um, what he did wasn't significant, and my dad always taught me there's no really insignificant job. There's only insignificant people, and you can make a job significant. And once he left the school, they tried to hire him back, I think, two or three times because they realized um, exactly what they had in my dad, Bruce, in, in terms of his commitment to, to details and his he's a perfectionist. But he always believed that no matter where you were from, no matter your socioeconomic background, no matter your race, your ethnicity, that every kid deserved a clean school um, to come and learn in. And if you could give them a clean school to come and learn in and provide them an environment that was conducive to them to learn, for them to learn, that then those kids really could go on and, and do anything that they really wanted to. And it started with, what was the environment like when you walked through the door? So my dad made sure the environment was clean. He made sure he greeted every kid in the morning um, with the same type of energy that I tried to greet my students with. And uh, it was really a transformative experience for me, not only to obviously have him as a father, but then to work alongside of him in the summer to see exactly what he does on a daily basis and how monotonous that work is, but how much pride he took in his work. I like that a lot. That's a really good story. So uh, this is my next question for you. How did you end up uh, getting hired at SDSU? Yeah, Dr. Josh Westwick. Uh, the two of us went to graduate school together. Uh, he was a year behind me. So he is a year younger than I am. And uh, when I decided to leave Gustavus and, and do something different, uh, he called me up and said, I don't know if you have any interest in teaching online for us, but we might have an opportunity for some online public speaking. Um, would really be interested in talking to you. And so we had a conversation, and it, it fit great with 
where I was at in my life and it provided me or allowed me to be transient. And so I could do it from anywhere and still allow myself to uh, start this public speaking company that I, that I started. And uh, that's kind of where, where we started from there. And I think now we're on, I think it's year seven, uh, teaching online. And then when I decided to move back to Brookings, that's when he approached me about uh, maybe teaching in person uh, if we had the opportunity. And so this spring, that opportunity arose, and I said, yeah, I'd love to get back in the classroom in a, in a traditional sense um, beyond the online sense. So I've been teaching um, a significant number of dual-credit students. That's really what my primary role is, is to take a good load of the dual-credit students. So. It's basically teaching high school students how to be college students is the way I view it. Uh, so it's really nice to be in the classroom to teach an upper-level course and, and work with juniors and seniors because I just uh, it's been a while, um, at least teaching for SDSU, that I've had that experience. Okay, okay. So then uh, probably the biggest question I think everyone's wondering is, what exactly is your job? You have a master's <laughs> yeah. in sports psychology yeah. and a communications degree. Like, yeah. tell, tell me about that. So... The way in which I got to South Dakota State was uh, through Professor Joel Heffling, um, who was in this department for many, many years and served as the director of forensics here. He's the one that really opened my eyes to even the possibility that I could get a master's degree. A little bit like my father, uh, you know, those types of degrees aren't common in my family, right? Like I'm one on my mom's side. I'm the uh, I'm one of two now with a college degree. Um, on my dad's side, I'm also one of three. Uh, I'm the only one that's got a master's degree or anything beyond a bachelor's degree. So going beyond a bachelor's degree just wasn't heard of in my family. And I guess to some degree, Joel Heffling was the one that said, hey, we really like you to come to South Dakota State. And I was like, wow, like someone actually thinks, I might, thinks I'm smart enough to get a master's degree. And that really opened my eyes to even being here. I had no idea. And he wanted me to come and work with their speech and debate team. And so... Um, when I went to undergrad, first I went to be a physical therapist. That's how I chose my college in the first place. And then I wanted to be on ESPN. Uh, I wanted to be a sports commentator. That was my dream when I went to the University of Mary was to get on ESPN. I realized you had to take a bunch of steps to get there, like work in small town North Dakota covering Class B basketball on a Friday night. And I was like, i got to be honest with you, that doesn't really excite me. Uh, so from there, um, I was on the speech and debate team and, and I had some success and I got recruited to do that. And I turned down a cross country and track scholarship to do speech. And my love of public speaking really took off from that standpoint. And so being involved as a speech coach was the next sort of step for me in that, that evolution. There really isn't a professional speaking tour like there is in say sports. And, um, you know, Joel said, I think you'd make a, a great teacher and a, and a great coach. And so that's how I ended up getting here. And my passion for that here only um, was furthered by under Joel's tutelage and, and everyone else that I had the pleasure of working with here at South Dakota State. And at that point, I wanted to go on and be a communication consultant um, in, in corporate America, mostly because it paid well. Uh, and it was my dad that sat me down and said, you know, Chris, I really think you should be a professor and a coach. And I explained why. My mom's a teacher. And Part of it had to deal a little bit with the lifestyle, and it was a lifestyle my dad never was afforded the opportunity to have. And, and so I really explored that, and I was like, yeah, I really do enjoy teaching and coaching and impacting you know, young adult lives. And so from there, um, I'd always been involved in athlete, athletics. I was a, in athletics all my life, and, and the way in which I sort of coached speech was a little, little bit like a sports coach. Um, I probably should have been one in the way in which I approached it. It was just, I think, sort of unique and different compared to most speech and debate coaches because of my background 
And I've always in, was intrigued by the pedagogy of coaching, and I read a lot of sports books about coaches, and so that really informed how I went about things um, in terms of coaching speech and debate, because I've always believed coaching is coaching, whether you're coaching football, basketball, or speakers. The pedagogy, to me, still really applies. Okay. And so that's where I got into sport, and from there, um, mental performance is kind of where it took me. Okay, okay. And then um, I really like I really like when you tell this story to but for everyone, can you tell me about your four minute pitch to uh, South Dakota State for you to get a job here? Yeah, so uh, when my wife got a job here in the Fishback Honors College, I approached South Dakota State uh, about doing mental performance. Um, I just had graduated with a degree in applied sports psychology and uh, I had to do 200 hours uh, of a practicum. So basically I was free. And so I approached the college, and I, I knew that university athletics liked the word free. Um, I was an alum, so I thought that might get me in the door. Initially, they said I would get 30 minutes with every head coach um, in the athletics department to, to pitch this mental performance idea. And I thought, great, I can, I can do this in 30 minutes. I probably don't even need 30. Then it turned into uh, 15 minutes, and then it was every head coach plus all the assistant coaches. And then on the day of, they said, you're going to get four minutes uh, to pitch your idea. And so I got four minutes with the head coaches and their assistants on Zoom because uh, we were still in the midst of the pandemic to pitch this idea of mental performance. And the first coach to bite was the, the golf coach, the head uh, golf coach for men's and women's golf. And I was ecstatic because someone said yes, and I just needed one person to say yes. And then from there, I think it was the softball coach that called me, and now uh, it's really taken off to where now I'm virtually involved with every every sport almost, not quite. Um, so now I have more mental performance um, duties than maybe I ever had thought when I gave that four-minute pitch. Okay, okay, I hear you. So then um, uh, my next question, I've um, I phrased it a little weird on here, but for you, for pretty much like um, – I said, you know, I've asked, I think I've asked this question to you many times, you know, what is your drive? I guess, what's your drive? Like, what gets you, what gets you up in the morning, ready to teach kids and like, just, you know, give this full energy. Cause when you give speeches, I tell you this, I tell you this all the time. I feel like I can run through a brick wall right <laughs> when you get done with your speeches. And I just, I want to ask, where do you, where do you get that power? First I will say is the greatest, that is the greatest comment I've ever gotten from a, from a student uh, when you wrote that in your paper. Uh, <laughs> so I will say that. Uh, I think part of it is, is you know from my own life experiences and, and obviously working with with students your age um, most of my life is that I think everyone has this you know the brain is 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 an amazing thing but it also provides us with a tremendous amount of barriers right the brain's whole job is to keep us safe and that's great when you put your hand on a stove, right? It tells you to take your hand away. But when it's not so great are things like in the classroom or when you're dealing with a public speaking student that says, I can't do this. And so really what drives me is not so much, uh, it's not about me, it's, it's really about you and how can I unlock that human potential that's inside of you, both with my degree in communication, but also my degree in mental performance, which I find colliding so many times, not just in the context of sports, but where I started to apply mental performance to begin with was in the public speaking classroom because so many students had this anxiety because it still is the number one fear in America. And I've always believed that if you can find your, your voice, you found your ability to influence. And once you have found your ability to influence, you can then be an agent of change. 
And if you look at any leader you know, in the world, right, across history, I would argue the one thing they have in, in common, whether you thought they were a good or a bad leader, right, is that ability to influence, right? And so I gave you guys the example in class, I think of like Barack Obama and Hitler, two different leaders, but what's the one thing they have in common? Tremendous ability to influence. And so I think that every day I am, I am motivated by how can we get past that, those barriers that are sort of woven into our DNA <laughs> based upon our, our ancestry that says we are wired to be negative. We are wired to be negative human beings, right? We are not wired to be a positive human being. We have 80,000 thoughts a day. 60,000 of those thoughts are negative. And so nine out of 10 are on repeat, which means if you think you can't do this, you can't give a speech, you're just repeating that like your worst or your favorite song, however you want to look at it, in your mind over and over and over again. And four out of five thoughts are negative, right? So part of it is, is every day I want to help you unlock that human potential that's inside of you to get you to dream bigger and bolder than maybe you thought was possible, both because your brain puts a limitation on you and and second, you've just never been trained. How do I sort of rewire? How do I reprogram my brain? Um, and I think that there's tremendous potential in doing that, not just in the context of athletics where I do spend a lot of my time, but just in the context, in our case, in the interviewing classroom, right, or in the public speaking classroom, uh, because that's where I started to apply those concepts in the first place. Wow. Okay, yeah. That's great. That is amazing. Um, so actually, uh, I forgot to elaborate on this. So I actually want to go back to the previous yeah. question. Um, the mental performance coach. So you're not uh, you're not a clinical psychologist. Psychologist. So then, what does the job entail uh, specifically? Do you? Yeah. So a lot of people know it as a sports psychologist um, in the state of South Dakota. I cannot call myself a sports psychologist because I do not have a degree in clinical psychology. So it'd be unethical for me to do that. So you often hear mental performance coach, mental strength coach. Um, the way I th say it in terms of like when I, when I talk with, with recruits is I have really two responsibilities. One is to get you to think right in sport. And the second one is to weaponize your brain. So athletes go to the strength coach to get more explosive, to get bigger, to get faster, to get stronger, right? They come to me to lift weights with their brain. It just looks a lot different because you can't see your brain changing like you can see your bicep changing. Mm -hmm. So the way in which I've always approached it is very much from a build it approach rather than a fix it approach. So too often when someone has something catastrophic happen, like a team blows a 20 point lead in the fourth quarter, right? Or someone gives a speech and the last, they like literally forget what they're gonna say and have a bunch of verbal diarrhea and, and <laughs> you know, make a fool out of themselves, right? Then they bring in this mental performance coach, like you've got to fix this person. And I've always believed that we can build mental strength just like we build physical strength. And so rather than thinking of it like a rehab, like you rehab after an injury, let's prehab it on the front side. Let's give you the tools to build mental strength so that you can deal with those adverse situations that are obviously uh, going to come up in your life. So just like we, we shouldn't just go to the doctor when we're sick, we should go for routine maintenance, right? The same thing true as mental performance. We shouldn't just go see a mental performance coach just because something went wrong. We should go there to build physical strength. And so in the athletic department, we think that if we can weaponize their brains, then that gives us a tremendous advantage over teams that are choosing not to invest in mental strength. But also it gives our athletes just another tool in their toolbox 
so that when they're going against another Division One athlete that's equally as good, or maybe in some cases better, there's got to be something that is that separator. So, you know, in a given football game, as an example, you're going to have 15,000 thoughts. What do I do with those 15,000 thoughts? And are those thoughts working for me? Are they putting me in the right emotional state to perform at my best? Or are they working against me and putting me in an emotional state that does not allow me to use all of that physical, all that technical, and all that tactical training that I've spent my whole life honing, but because my brain is like a junk drawer, like that junk drawer you have at home, right? Yeah. You can't find what you want. You know that tool's in there, but you can't find it. That's what our brains are like on game day oftentimes if we haven't trained our brain to be positive, um, to be in a state that allows us, in an optimal state that allows us to, to play at, our, at the optimal level or at the upper range of our ability. That's a very uh, good use of a mental performance coach. Uh, I, I don't see why. Does every does every college team have like a mental performance kind of coach? Or? It is becoming, um, you know, mental performance is kind of following the same path as strength and conditioning, right? So, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, strength and conditioning was not what it is today, right? People are like, you have a strength and conditioning coach? Now, everybody at every level has a strength and conditioning coach. So, like, like, Strength and conditioning, mental performance, like at the Power Five level, so those big schools in the Big Ten, the SEC, a lot of those schools have them. Um, but at our level, you know, at the FCS level for football, let's say, uh, that's not very common. Uh, so I would say that, you know, SDSU is, is certainly unique in its willingness to commit to that. So it's certainly becoming more, more mainstream um, in college athletics, but much more so at that Power Five level than at our level. Okay, okay. So then, I feel like you're, I feel like you'll uh, like this question. Uh, do you have a challenge, like a big challenge, that you overcame and are proud of to comment on today? <laughs> a big challenge. Um, yeah, this one's pretty personal. I'll be honest. I know it's not something I talk a lot about, but um, what a lot of people don't know about me is I actually. Uh, remarried I was divorced so this one's pretty personal I guess probably not what she anticipated <laughs> um, but I found myself at age uh, 36 uh, with a father of two and divorced and uh, certainly not something I anticipated in my life um, I married my high school sweetheart out of high school or out of college excuse me and uh, you know he was kind of the fairy tale right like we, we dated in high school and our parents knew each other we grew up in the same hometown we did go to different colleges and then once we graduated we got married and uh, got jobs, bought a house, had kids. It was sort of the fairy tale, right? It's how it's supposed to be, I guess, as people prescribe it. And what I had learned in that process is that my values really got out of priority. So I dedicated so much time to my to my profession. I dedicated so much time to my coaching and to other students that I was neglecting the very people um, at home that that were the reason, were my foundation, the reason I was able to do the very things that I was, I was supposed to do. So I would never want anyone to experience what I experienced, but I also tell people that I wouldn't be who I am had I not experienced it. And so um, it was a transformative, life-changing moment. Um, I have a tremendous relationship with, with the mother of my two children. Um, she's one of my best friends, and without her, uh, I would not be who I am today. I would not be, as I said to her one day, I thank you for saving me um, because I think I was headed down a path 
that was probably destructive in some ways and and you were the one that was able to show that and unfortunately that cost us um, our marriage but um, we have a great relationship and we do things together and holidays and all this other stuff and so I think that that experience um, allowed me to apply every piece of mental performance training I have <laughs> to get through that own that adversity and, and I'm a much different person as a result of it and from it and so I grew through it I just just didn't went did I, I didn't just go through it um, I grew through it and I think from that experience um, I'm a much better father um, I'm a much better husband but more importantly I'm a much better person um, as a result of that experience so I can't say I'm proud that it happened, um, but I am proud of the person I've become as a result of that experience. I like that. That's a good, that's a good uplifting story, I think. So um, just wrapping everything up, do you have anything else you'd like to comment on or any, anything, any story you want to talk about at all? Or? Well, I have a lot of Josh, uh, Dr. Josh Westwick stories. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure any of them are appropriate uh, for this, but, but I will say this. Um, you know, to, to watch Kojo um, from when I was a graduate student here to what it is now and sort of being here on a, on a daily basis to experience it in person rather than from afar when I was living in Tennessee through Zoom as, and with my colleagues, you know, it's really impressive to see how much this, not only the Department of Communication Studies, but the School of Communication and Journalism has taken off um, and what it's become since I was a graduate student here just not that long ago. <laughs> maybe longer than I want to admit. Uh, just to see its evolution is, is tremendous and to see the type of instructors that are in this department and the type of teaching and the research that's being produced and, and the different programs is, is really an amazing experience. I've got a deep connection with two former students in the department. Um, and so uh, this place means a lot to me and to see what it's become is tremendous. If you'd have told me roughly 20 years ago that I'd be back, I think I would have laughed at you. Um, <laughs> So everything comes full circle. But I, I'm, I'm proud to be a Jackrabbit. It's great to be back in Brookings. Um, it's great to be a part of this, this school and, and certainly this department. Our next episode will be available on February 11th. This podcast is the property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music.